Hi, this is Nick Fruin bringing you Tiger Talk, LSU's student media ran podcast covering the latest and most important news. This episode, we'll be touching on the possibility of the university mandating vaccinations for the upcoming school year and talking about the ongoing lawsuit between Troy H. Middleton's family and the university. Today, I'm joined by Caden Lim, Reveille reporter. How are you doing today, Caden? Not too bad. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Yep, it's a good day to be here. Um, we're going to talk about your story, the Alexandria meeting you went and covered. How was that, first of all? Uh, honestly, it was a really good trip. I'm really glad. I. Uh, it was a good journalistic experience for me, uh, personally. I was glad I was able to go, uh, take Fridays off of work. Um, Nick asked me two days before, hey, do you want to cover this meeting? I was like, yeah, let's do it. And it's kind of the end of it there. I do have to say, you covered the meeting perfectly. I, I just want to put that out here now. I've not, I know I've already told you that, but the coverage was... Very good. Um, but let's talk about some of the older briefs you did and some of those coverage you did about the, the vaccinations. Kind of how did all this start, really? Uh, so all of it started. Uh, the, it's kind of a complicated process, but to dumb it down, um, there's the faculties comprised of like a governing body. And so called the faculty council and it even goes into the faculty senate and stuff like that. And so basically the faculty council has um, really been pushing the university to mandate vaccines uh, for obviously COVID-19 for this upcoming school year. Um, and so it kind of stemmed from that uh, concept and it kind of just spread spread through there up to Alexandria. And so I know they passed a resolution demanding the mandating vaccinations, but wasn't there something that the attorney general said regarding the vaccinations to LSU? Can you fill me on what happened there? Yeah, so uh, the Louisiana attorney general, Jeff Landry, he basically said that requiring vaccines at LSU is illegal, and he listed a bunch of state laws from the House and the Senate and stuff saying how requiring vaccines would be legal in this state. And um, he did two things at the end. One, he asked LSU to to respond to him in a public statement saying that they would not mandate vaccines. And then a little bit later, he said that he would very likely sue the Board of Supervisors at LSU if they did end up mandating COVID-19 vaccinations. And it's something that we uh, I want to make clear here uh, about this Alexandria meeting. Uh, they didn't mandate the vaccines there. They just kind of... Ask no. the government to put it on the list of vaccinations, correct? Right. So the vice president for legal affairs, Winston DeQueer, he advises the board in, ter- in legal matters. And so what he was saying at the meeting was that as of right now, the uh, vaccines are currently only under emergency use authorization, also known as EUA. And so, therefore, if this university were to require vaccinations right now, that would indeed be illegal. However, um, if the Louisiana Department of Health, they uh, the COVID-19 vaccine needs to be put on their schedule of required immunizations um, to attend public schools in Louisiana. And so uh, if if the COVID vaccine is added to that schedule, which includes meningitis, diphtheria, hepatitis, stuff like that. If COVID is added to that schedule, then the university will have the legal means to mandate the vaccines. And so this was passed in a resolution at the meeting? So it was initially passed very narrowly. It was four to three, and a bunch of supervisors did not um, vote. They abstained from the vote. And so uh, they kind of discussed the language of the resolution um, so Louisiana House Resolution 20 requires that all, uh, that 
whenever a public school in the state requires an immunization for any disease, they have to communicate to its constituents that they can opt out. And so President Galligan said, because uh, he's in the he's a lawyer, obviously, uh, he said you, they can opt out for medical, religious, or even philosophical reasons. At the meeting, he said that. I'm not sure what philosophical reasons entails, but that is what Galligan said. And so they really focus on that opt-out clause. So a lot of supervisors were able to change, or they were they their minds were changed mm-hmm. when the board agreed to explicitly communicate if they ever did require the vaccines that you can opt out because of House Resolution 20. That, that, that was about the being able to opt out for, like you said, the uh, religious, medical, even philosophical reasons, which right. I feel like that covers a, a wide, that, yeah, it seems like vague. Yeah, you can just be like, hey, I don't really feel like it. Yeah, exactly. Okay. And so uh, the vote ended up being nine to two, and a bunch of supervisors still didn't vote. Um, but obviously, nine to two is a bit more, um, it, it was a lot more open than just a four to three narrow vote. But that uh, that opt out clause really does make me wonder. So if they call it a required immunization, but there's still a a chance that you can opt out of it, I personally don't know how that's required if you're still allowed to, you know, like opt out. I think the the here they're talking because there's a lot of um, vaccinations that were still required to have to come to LSU. I know it's a meningitis. I think it's a B vaccination um, that we have to get. but you don't have to get if you like you said you have those reasons. So I feel like it has to be across the board. But the inclusion of the philosophical reasons by Galligan and you know this, like you said, and we also have to mention this is Galligan's last meeting, board supervisor meeting. So he might have been saving that so he could get out of there. Might it might not hold under uh, President Tate. Um, but no, I, I I do think you're right. Where it's it's a very big broad band of what falls under what allows someone not to want to be vaccinated or not. Yeah. Um, so can you kind of talk about maybe the, the conversation between the supervisors? Was there anybody that was more vocal against against the bill or, or the resolution or not? Yeah, so there was a certain supervisor that was openly against it. Uh, his name is Jay Blossman. He's from Mandeville, I believe. And he was just very hesitant to uh, require the vaccines. He, he said he thinks it should be uh, up to the family whether they want to get a COVID vaccination or not. And as a matter of fact, he was very uh, blunt about it, I would say. Uh, I'm sure by the tone of his voice, if you were there at the meeting, a lot of people would think that he's, you know, being, like, staunch, if that's that's a good word. Um, But basically, he was just saying how he's very uncomfortable with requiring the vaccine. He doesn't want to tell kids, get the shot or come to LSU. Uh, He repeated this several times, and this was, like, the iconic quote of the entire meeting. He basically said, I've moved on with my life. If you're worried about the co- the COVID, get the shot. If you're not worried about the COVID, don't get the shot. It's as simple as that. He said, I don't know why everyone's making everything so complicated. And he repeated it again. If you're worried about the COVID, get the shot. If you're not worried about the COVID, don't get the shot. Uh, yeah, and so when I was there, I really wanted to talk to him afterward. Um, so I, I, I asked Ernie Ballard if I could talk to him. But uh, Mr. Blossman, he got up, got out of there real quick. So, well, so sounds like he moved on. Like he said, he yeah. had other things to do. Right. Um, so I know someone at the meeting we were talking about the vaccination rate among LSU students compared to the faculty and Senate or the staff. Um, do you have any idea about those numbers? Yeah. Um, so uh, the students, I believe, uh, this is from 
So there were, there were opening statements by members of the faculty council who really want to require the vaccine. Um, so music theory professor Anessa Bazayev, she was the first one, and she gave us a statistic. Uh, it's, I believe, 26 27% of students have been vaccinated at LSU. Um, and then the faculty is at 76%, 73%, and then the staff is at 56%. Um, Galligan gave, gave that, those stats at the meeting. Uh, and so another thing I thought was interesting about the discussion at the meeting is that these required vaccinations for all the diseases People are, are able to opt out. I, I forgot who said it, but they said people are able to opt out because they're banking on the fact that everyone else will have been vaccinated. So that small number of people who do opt out, like they won't really uh, cause a problem because everyone else is everyone vaccinated. Else is vaccinated. So, so if they are. as for COVID, mm-hmm. obviously since only 26, 27% have been vaccinated, most of the student body has not been vaccinated yet. And so um, that kind of that I, I just thought that was interesting because I, I was just su- interested how the board of supervisors and faculty and staff in general will tackle that um, concept. How, uh, yeah, m- it, a lot of people might opt out of it, and and so therefore they won't have that fact that the majority of the student body has it to bank on. So twenty six percent seems like a really low number. I wonder where he gets that um, that number from exactly. Because the problem that that I had, I was talking to somebody the other day about is some students could get it and not and you know just not tell tell the university. Exactly. Or, you know, put it put it through the system. And I feel like the staff and the faculty would be more inclined. So maybe that's why the, their rates are higher. But so twenty six percent, let me just do something right now. There's four of us in here. I who's are you? Yeah. Are you? Oh, that's 50% in here. And have y'all reported to the university that y'all got vaccinated? Yeah. No? Have, have y'all been told to or anything like that? No. Okay, so yeah, so we have half the people in here have been, or have been vaccinated and they haven't reported to the university. So maybe that's why those numbers are so low. Yeah. So maybe that's something they need to be more on top of. Um, and also, an, an interesting thing I, I could think of is maybe don't require it for everybody, but require it if they want to live on campus because that, that would feel like the more you have more chance to get it if you lived on campus in a residential hall. You know, if if you've seen the inside of some of them, they're they're not the cleanest places, depending on where you've lived. Um, but uh, no, that's interesting. Um, I another part that was kind of interesting to me too is that uh, so when the faculty count, uh, council members at the beginning of the meeting were talking, um, they seemed really concerned about themselves, like the faculty and staff themselves. And so when uh, Blossman was um, saying his piece. He, I don't know if it was a joke or not, but he made a motion to require faculty. He was like, I make a motion to require faculty to get COVID vaccines, but not students. And so the motion didn't get seconded, so like nothing substantial came out of it. But I thought that was interesting. Like, If the faculty is concerned about, because obviously COVID doesn't ex- affect younger people as much, and yeah. so they're worried about like the older people on campus. And so, uh, yeah, I, I just thought that was a really interesting motion by Blossman. Um, yeah, I'm, I I I think if it is going to occur uh, a complete ma- uh, vaccination mandate, it's going to have to be all across the board, just everybody on campus, um, to, to to some degree, unless you do opt out of it. And and I, and I feel like it will have to be if you do opt out of it that there may have to be some, I, like, like again, like I said, not being able to live on campus in the dorm rooms, or maybe all the people that opted out live in certain halls or things like that. I I'm not exactly sure the the exact specifics of it, but there those are some solutions that you know immediately come to mind. Um, so did anything else occur at this meeting? I, I, I know that, it, again, we talked about it was Galligan's last meeting. I, I, didn't they talk about Tate and his contract for a little bit, if you want to get into that for a second? Yeah, so uh, basically 
Mr. William, uh, Dr. William Tate IV, mm. um, his contract got fully approved by the university. So that uh, his contract starts on July 6th. And so basically it, uh, that was, it was essentially President Galligan's last meeting, uh, Board of Supervisors meeting as president. And so they pointed out that his very first meeting as president was at LSUA. And his last meeting was also at LSUA. So it was kind of a cool thing to see that everything comes back in full circle, that his journey started and ended in Alexandria. As for Tate, however, yeah, so his contract starts on July 6th. And they basically uh, approved his contract in which he will uh, receive $725,000 a year for his salary. And then he's going to get a $35,000 housing allowance and then a $15,000 vehicle allowance. Um, One thing that kind of it was pretty cool um obviously galligan got thrown into the president office at probably the worst year uh, yeah. lsu like, like you could possibly have it would not not only covid but all the title nine stuff that's been happening with lsu uh galligan's gone through a lot and he's definitely had his years like he he <laughs> like he he should not be working right now in my personal opinion he should be just living his life but and uh like he he did it anyway he made it through the year he did the best he could and I personally um, applaud Galligan for uh, what he did as president, um, and he received a standing ovation from everybody at the meeting at the end of it, and uh, one quote I, I thought was pretty funny. Uh, he said, there's no one more excited for Mr. Tate to be president than me, because <laughs> Galligan's just, you know, he's tired of it. Uh, and so Galligan said he's glad he's able to go back to the law center. He's going to go back to his love for teaching. But he will retain the title of President Emeritus, which uh, is honestly such a huge honor still to have. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. And yeah, you're right. Galligan has done an amazing job as president, especially throwing in the the mix that he's been, um, especially because he had to face a lot of problems, especially of Title IX that he didn't cause or was in any, you know, in any way or shape involved, involved in, in really. Um, and he just had to get thrown in, especially at those Title IX hearings at the the state courthouse um, or the state hearing with the legislative. They were just grilling him about his mishandling of punishment for uh, Seeger and Osbury, which we might get more into that in a little bit. Um, but, yeah, no, Galligan will not be leaving. Again, he'll be returning to the Law Center, which was his previous position, and Taylor will be uh, beginning July 2nd. He'll also be moving into a university-owned house. That's a presidential house that the president usually lives in. Hasn't been occupied in the last 10, 15 years. We might be getting more into that in uh, the next episode. So next, I wanted to talk to you about um, Troy H. Middleton and his family, and there's an ongoing lawsuit um, ongoing with them. Uh, we're getting into this because just this Saturday, actually, it was a year ago since Middleton was taken down from what was known as Middleton Library, is now known as LSU Library. Um, so, so what do you know about this lawsuit? What's going on with that? Uh, so there's a, two parts to this lawsuit. Um, so the Middleton family, they're filing against the university because uh, they say they were like uh, – they said they were very embarrassed and humiliated. Um, they said the university defamed their, uh, I don't know if he's their grandfather, but Troy Middleton's um, name um, and also obviously their family member's name by labeling him as a racist. Uh, and so they were kind of, they're upset about that and they want monetary recompense for that. But that's not their primary objective of this lawsuit. Uh, their main focus of this lawsuit is to uh, retrieve. Troy Middleton's military collection 
So all the medals. Um, I heard there's like a bayonet from World War One. Um, they want to get all this stuff that the university currently has uh, back in their possession. Um, right now, it's being displayed at the LSU Military Museum. That's at the Memorial Tower. I think it opens on vet- Veterans Day, so it's not open yet. Uh, but it's there right now. Um, and so basically their attorney said that the university can't find any paperwork that gives them the legal right to own this property. And so that's what they're going to use against the university in this lawsuit uh, because the university, I think it was Ernie Ballard, uh, he said as a state university, there's a lot of historical documents for not only the university but the state of Louisiana and also the federal government. And so they said uh, the university will be able to give back some of the collection but not all of it, um, the ones that have governmental significance to it, basically. That's, and so when, when this was filed last week, sometime last week, this lawsuit? Yeah, it was, it was n- not too long ago at all. Okay. Um, and so and for, y- for those of you that don't know, the, his name was taken down from the Milton Library because during his time as president, which was from 1951 to about 1962, um, he was an advocate against, or he was very against um, desegregating college campuses. And he wrote a couple letters that when came out to the public, there was a lot of outcry for taking his name down from the library, which the uh, board of supervisors uh, agreed to do last year and his name was taken down. So that, that's that's where the, the lawsuit is stemming from and the family is feeling disrespected and his name was tainted in a way um so and so you said that it's it's at the military museum right now his memorabilia yeah okay and just and just just to talk about the the military museum for a little bit for those of you who don't know um there's a new military museum located it's directly beneath the memorial tower the iconic tower it's in any really if you go on lsu site or anything like that it's going to be pictured there um it's the cultivation of about uh three years of construction that's been around the tower if you've been on campus you know exactly what i'm talking about um it's resulted in a completely restored exterior and interior for the Memorial Tower. I did a story on this, talked to sources that worked on the project. There's a newly, newly constructed uh, military museum on the inside, like we've talked about, and a nice exterior plaza. Um, the military museum is ran by the cadets of the old war school. And for those of you wondering about how the museum looks, here's an audio clip from my interview with local Baton Rouge businessman and member of the board of directors of the cadets of the old war school, Richard Lipsy. And I, it took my breath away. It is absolutely even more it's I I guess I can't find the right words to describe it. It, 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 It's more satisfying. It's more complete. It is one of the most beautiful small museums Mm -hmm. that you'll find anywhere. And beautiful it was. Um, I personally went and got a tour of the museum during its soft opening a couple weeks ago, and it was evident the amount of time that was put into the project. Um, not only though, but the project cost around uh, $14.5 million, according to multiple sources that were involved in the project. Um, and I think about $5.5 million of that was given to them by the state for the project. Um, for those of you interested in visiting the museum, the museum's official grand opening will be on Veterans Day. It will be open full time from that point forward. Um, and, you know, this is all the news topics I wanted to talk about today, but there's also a little um, excerpt we can hop into because, Kate, I know that you were your freshman year. You worked with the LSU basketball team. Can you tell me about that experience for a little bit? Oh, yeah. Uh, so I am I worked as a student manager for the basketball team that year. Uh, so I'm from Colorado, so obviously very far from here. And so basically how I got that was 
the last kid to come here to LSU, which was like four years from my high school, four years ago. He graduated um, four years ago. Uh, he knew he was on the basketball team as uh, he worked for the basketball team as a student manager as well, and so he got me the job. Uh, job in quotes. Um, and so since then, like my freshman year, yeah, I I got a I was able to attend practice. Like I not I was able to I was required uh, to attend practices and game days. You know, help players. Um, get some water, wipe up sweat, uh, rebound for them, stuff like that. Okay. Uh, so just all, like, the n- nitty-gritty stuff of, like, uh, the operations of the team. And, uh, you know, anyone would think, like, oh, you're just cleaning up after the players, which, honestly, essentially you are. But uh, even Coach Wade has said this. Um, like, without, like, the student managers, the team would not nearly run as smoothly as they could. Yeah. Just because if they got to worry about all the little things like that, like, they can't focus on, you know, winning. Um, yeah, so, every, yeah, that, that's kind of what I did all year. Every gear is important, you know, to make it work. Um, exactly. And the reason I bring this up is because last night, um, and you said you said you worked with, or you knew Skyler Mays to, to some degree at least with because yeah. you worked with him. Yeah. Um, so, as you know, they won. Or his, his team, the Atlanta Hawks, beat, beat the uh, 76ers, who also have a former LSU player on there, Ben Simmons. Um, kind of want to get into that for a second. Who did you want to win the series? Uh, honestly, I'm – I've even though I go to LSU, um, I've never been a big fan of Ben Simmons. And a little secret on the basketball team: not many people in the basketball program like Ben Simmons either. Uh, but we're all big Skylar Mays fans. Uh, I love Skylar, uh, and so I was definitely rooting for the Hawks. Well, it, it it would totally seem like you know you guys are rooting in the right direction because I want to say Ben Simmons, who I I don't know what draft pick he was. He was up there, right? He was number one. Was he number one overall? I think he scored four points in like. 28 minutes that were the most playing. It's I, I, brutal. I don't know if you saw in the fourth corner, he has an open dunk over uh, over, over Trey Morgan. Is that is that the, is that the point uh, guard's name for the Hawks? No. no. What's his name? <laughs> Trey Young. <laughs> Trey Young. Sorry, Trey Young. And he's going for the dunk, and he, and he throws it away from a 6'1 guy. You're 6'10. You need to dunk the ball. I said to get in that because it's a little LSU basketball. I know this is a news podcast. Um, <laughs> but, no. So that's going to be all the news for today. This has been Nick Pruin bringing you Tiger Talk. I want to say thank you for Kane Lim for joining me today. Um, also, shout out to David Robbins from KLSU and helping us with this podcast. Yeah, thank you all for having me. I'm glad to have you. If you're interested in following the Reveille on social media, you can find us at LSU Reveille on Twitter, on Instagram, and on Facebook. You can find KLSU on 91.1, and their Instagram is KLSUFM. <laughs>